Welcome to the future of gaming. GM friends, and welcome to the future of gaming. You are listening to our weekly podcast. We are back. I was on a holiday in Japan for a couple of weeks, which was amazing, by the way. Thank you for asking. Um, and now I'm back in action, and so we can explore what new and exciting things are happening within the world of gaming. We have Devin, we have myself, and our special guest, John Burris. As you know, we are supposed to tell you what we're going to be talking about, but we never really know where we end up. So... I'll just ask John to um, tell us a bit more about himself, what he's building, and then uh, we can take it from there. Great, great. I look forward to this winding discussion that hopefully uh, <laughs> will will enlighten all of us. Um, yeah, r- real quick, my background. I'm really kind of a lifelong entrepreneur, right? Um, I was early at Netscape back in the early 90s, so I'm a little bit of, I, I got a few gray hairs of the hairs that are left, um, uh, you know, and then was active around kind of the mobile space and actually um, uh, ended up running a $5 billion P&L um, for a large U.S. telco. And part of that P&L had a games business that was a part of it, about a $250 million business, um, and then was very active around streaming of video and uh, sports and media technology. Could, we could talk about that. And then, of course, more recently, last five plus years, been eat, breathing, and slip, sleeping, uh, eating this uh, you know, crypto Web3 space and primarily in the metaverse gaming category. So that's a little bit of my background. I'm, I'm um, the president of a company called MetaJuice, um, and we are a company that is kind of crypto enabling uh, InView, one of the largest social metaverses in the world. InView is a platform that has been around 18 plus years. It's got millions of monthly active users, 700,000 plus daily active users, real active economy. We can dig into all that. And what we're doing is we're taking this Web2 business, this very Web2 community. It's very active, global, um, very large kind of creator-led economy. Um, and we're taking that into the Web3 space. We could talk about how we're doing that with crypto assets, NFTs tokens, right? Um, and the mm-hmm. whole challenge and opportunity, I think, in moving platforms, communities like that into this cool new space. Very exciting. Devin, when we were prepping for this, you told me you have some experience with InView. What can you yeah, tell yeah, us about kind that? Of, kind share. of a funny, funny story here that's related. So um, uh, I think I briefly mentioned once before when we were talking about virtual worlds, but I used to be in there.com in the beta and uh, and ended up at some point in a focus group for what basically became IMVU, uh, and Very I basically cool. told them that I thought it was greedy and, and they shouldn't do it <laughs> because they just wanted to sell clothes to a bunch of teenagers to display in their instant messenger. But uh, you know they went ahead with it, and uh, sounds like it's working out for them. So probably don't listen to me, but uh, thanks exactly. for paying me to be there. Yeah, Devin yeah. would make a terrible VC. There you go. Absolutely, oh, but I'm not joining the focus group. It's actually got a great founding story with Eric Reese, the you know author of um, Lean Lean Startup and kind of the whole play, and so kind of a real early path. So Devin, it's hard to tell, you know, eighteen mm-hmm. plus years ago. Yeah, I enjoyed there.com quite a bit though, uh, and and Second Life and all that stuff of that era. So yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's, it's good to pioneers. see some of that still kind of like carrying forward uh, as we kind That's of come full circle with you know a lot of these virtual worlds and stuff. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. I so I talk to a lot of founders, and this is something that I I should say more often. Um, but I think that um, the Lean Startup is is one of the ten most important books written about startups in the world, um, and it, it almost seems self self evident if you're in the space for long enough. But I do think if if you haven't read it, you should probably read it. Um, yeah, it's really good, and it also tells the story of IMVU, which is uh, 
it's also fun. So yes. I have one question. So this might be because I'm based in Europe, but I don't hear about IMVU at all. Um, John, what can you tell us about that? What, what, why is that? That that's real fair, and and there's a lot of common feedback. You know, it's an again, it's, it's a platform. It's a open metaverse, and you know, with again, millions of users, hundreds of thousands of rooms and experiences, nightclubs, thirteen languages supported. But I think for many of those eighteen years, um, it's been kind of off the radar for sure, right? And just kind of grew organically. Um, the the company, the firm, didn't raise money for ten plus years. Just kind of kept growing, funding itself, kind of um, you know building out the experience on the platform. Um, and then I think a lot of the users um, are very anonymous on the platform. So I'd say sixty plus percent are more anonymous than they are sharing um, in their with their you know actual name or their actual persona sharing that publicly. A lot of our users will create Instagram accounts, TikTok accounts and the like with the name of their avatar because that avatar name, that their their username on the platform um, really becomes an extension of who they are, but they're more anonymous. So it's one of those, and for some users, for some of the community members, it's one of those brands that you use, you'll plug in, use it for hours on a weekend night. Uh, it's your, it's your social um, engagement, but you may not talk with, talk about it you guys know what I'm saying? Pack at the office or around your other friends, depending on how you engage with the community. Right? And we can talk about why that might be, but uh, it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. well, well, can you tell us about the demographics? Because maybe that also has something to do with me, um, you know, just not, not fitting in there. It's a great question. It's super interesting, I think, um, because um, just about 70% of our users are female, or at least identify as female. And um, uh, the demographics range, you know, from the core from about 18 to 24 plus up to about 35 plus. Um, we don't market to below 18, but we do probably have 20% of our users are under the under 18. Um, and usage on the platform, um, on average, uh, average engagement is about one hour of time, obviously less on mobile, more on desktop. Um, and then we see spikes of use to just give you a feel of who of the demographics, lots of spikes of usage in the evenings for various time zones around the world, and lots of spikes of time engagement on the platform over the weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sunday evenings, right? So it really is a social experience for a majority of our users. We also see spend spike um, when people are getting paid or there's, you know, or money is more freely available with folks. So um, it's a common platform for folks, you know, to, uh, you know, to, to engage with, but they'll spend more when they have more. It's kind of that demographic as well. And then I throw out one thing as we kind of like to think we're very much post-pandemic, but obviously you could probably imagine you should spiked a lot. There was a lot of user growth um, during those two plus years. And frankly, a lot of users that came back to the platform, right, mm -hmm. to engage, re-light re up their, their avatar and kind of engage back in, into the platform. And then I throw out one more thing. It's a very, there's a, at its core, there's a very, very loyal user base. There's a user base that has been here for years, right? Um, they, they may be the creators. They might be the hosts that run the experiences on the platform. Um, but there's a core to this base that just weathers any, any, any age almost or any environment or financial, you know, impacts of the world. So there's this good core that really kind of has always kept in view moving forward. Mm. Fascinating. So uh, the yeah. stimulus checks during covid you, you, you saw they, the results? They, it, we do. It's we great. do. All, we do all into that. your pockets. There yeah. you go. Well, yeah, and, and the pockets <laughs> of our creators, we'd like to believe, right? You know, you like should push into the, into the community. Sure. Yeah. Right. I think that's something interesting, too. Every digital item on the platform, all the rooms and experiences, 
all the all the engagement. It's it's run by the community itself, right? We just create the, the platform, the marketplace, some of the rules of the road, try to keep everybody safe and, you know, um, try, try to make sure that commerce that happens on the platform, everybody's, you know, no one's taking advantage of anybody. So it's, mm-hmm. we kind of create that environment, and then it's those creators and those hosts and earners that really drive the experience. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about um, the commerce that you mentioned. Um, I'm assuming goods, um, cosmetics, services, like experiences. What can you tell us about, about those? You're, you're right on. Um, and just like Devin's kind of experience years ago, the core business is, is a virtual goods kind of plat- is experience. So a majority of the revenue that changes hands on the platform, uh, you know, value that changes hands on the platform is around, I'll call them items out of the marketplace. And those can be obviously outfits and clothes. They can be looks and of your avatar, you know, different looks and feel, everything down to eyelashes, fingernails, rings. You know, you think you wouldn't even be able to see those hardly in an avatar environment, but those things are important. Also animations. So there's creators will create ways that an avatar might move or hug or hold hands. And so there's a massive marketplace over at this point, 60 million unique items, 5,000 plus every day are uploaded and reviewed and put into the marketplace. Um, so that virtual goods environment, that is the core economy. And then what's new, and we could, you know, it's really enabled by um, some of the crypto assets that we've introduced into the platform is we're trying to really put the tools in place, the capabilities for a larger service economy. Uh, and, you know, I use that general you know, goods and services idea. Our, our, our Users, our community doesn't talk that way, but that's the peer-to-peer payments, right? Paying for access to a room, paying for me to show you around for four hours and take you to cool rooms or meet all my cool friends or, or you, you paying me to help you dress your avatar, which could get tricky with 60 million items, right? Or, you know, on and on and on, right? You know, um, uh, you know, paying for advice on the platform, someone building out one of your rooms or experiences. And so you could, you know, there's kind of, that's, that's endless. And for years, our users would go, hey, pay me in PayPal and I'll let you in my room, right? Or pay me via WePay and I'll let you in my room. Um, And now they can, of course, on the platform kind of do a right click and pay you with some VCoin, right? Um, So we're trying to just kind of enable that in the community. um, Are are you guys running a lot of branded stuff? I'm kind of curious about because I remember like uh, there had like the Levi deal and things like that. Like, are you guys able to, to bring in a lot of branded like clothing and things like that and actually push that? Or is it more like custom made stuff? I think a, there's there's no question that a majority of the content is custom made stuff. Some of it may look a little bit like some of the stuff that's popular in the market. So I would say, like when the Met Gala happens in New York, twenty four forty eight hours, a lot of that stuff, you know, like some cool dress that Rihanna just wore, it's likely to show up in the platform. Some some creative creator gets in there, um, and then we are engaging more and more with brands, you know, um, um, and so it's not a. It, to me, it's more of an additive play. And of course, in this. I'll call it in the Web3 space. We see a lot of a lot of cool things we can do all of a sudden now that we've introduced NFTs deeply integrated into our platform to protect those brands who want to know that they're, you know, where their stuff's going or that they get could get paid on resale and all kinds of things. So yeah, we could talk about that. There's a lot of we could even talk more recently some of the cool brands we've done stuff with. But I think you'll see more and more of that out of us here going forward than you may have seen the last five years. So Tom, I want to dive into, could you maybe give us an idea about, you mentioned goods and services. Um, could you tell us a bit, maybe like the, the, the percentages, what, what these represent today? Yeah. You know, yeah. I think, you know, um, virtual goods are probably about 80% of all, of all the revenue of all the cash, you know, of all the value that's changing hands on the platform. Mm-hmm. Services are probably 10%, right? 
right? Okay. Um, there's a little bit of indirect kind of advertising, we call it, kind of, you know, other, other revenue, if you will, um, on the platform. But, both, you know, for the most part, it's, it's, you know, you can almost, the way I think about it internally is, or with our community, is, you know, we've done a really good job. You know, there's always more to do, but we've kind of killed it, if you will, with the virtual goods, right, for 18 plus years and uploading and just amazing things. And it's really like, hey, let's figure out this service economy. And then I would say what's new, with, what's kind of creates a huge new opportunity with the Web3 space is, all of a sudden, a lot you know, through work, a lot of virtual goods, some of these services, it can, it can, they can, they have the opportunity to go beyond our platform, right? So NFTs, it can be taken off platform, owned, traded, resold. Hey, could we interact with our friends over at Sandbox and do things? We've sold NFTs that were sold at a Decentraland event that now you can import into Imview and your avatar can wear those boots that you purchased, you know? So we're working through and I could talk a little bit how we're really active around kind of the open metaverse and open metaverse alliance, but kind of, you know, what does this all mean? So my job really is to kind of, and MetaJuice's job with InView is to really kind of, you know, make sure we have a next-gen economy, a next-gen kind of set of capabilities, all driven by Web3 technologies that can take this thing, you know, to that proverbial next level, right? Um, mm -hmm. Are you guys doing anything with Ready Player Me then in that sense? Yeah, we do like that stuff. We do like those avatars and that kind of play. We know leadership there and so we are thinking through and we're thinking through what kind of our platform because you could imagine you know 15 plus years ago uh, a lot of our tech stack was homegrown so working through how do we kind of open this up um, through various partnerships or new tech kind of play so that we could make it easier for things to come in and out right um, of our platform so so we always say too to folks in our space that our you know our doors open right we're we're, we're not one of those gaming or metaverse companies that just talks about interoperability we want to make it happen with the right players you know because it, it does take tech work right now it's not easy right there's not a set of standards that one can just plug into and transfer assets around various metaverses but hopefully that's the long-term vision i'd love to dig into the the web3 part of what you're doing but before that i just love to understand um you know just the, I'm, I'm amazed by the longevity of yeah. InView. um what what do you think makes it stand out as a platform? Because I'm sure that a lot of competitors have 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 risen and have fallen along the wayside, um, but you're still here. Um, yeah, what makes this unique? Yeah, you know, I think as I mentioned, it's really serving that loyal core of your of, of the community and making sure that while we've made changes or introduced mobile applications or you know kind of uh, tried to kind of continue to grow the platform. Um, that we were doing our best to try to always serve that core user base and understanding kind of who they are, what they want, um, trying to always create a a fair relationship with the creators and earners on the platform, right? Um, and so I think it's that focus, you know, almost focusing on that, you know, on your true fans, if you will, right? Um, to, that that has allowed this thing to just um, to hang in there, right? To kind of hang through the storm and then take advantage of when you know. When either we get the product right or we get the experience right or our creators do some special things, right, to just take advantage of that. Mm. You know? awesome. I, I mean, mean it's, it's in the game space, as you know, it's common. Things are hits, and then they kind of die away, and it doesn't matter what you do. It, it won't grow anymore. I think in this platform, I think, too, we did the, you know, I, I've been here five and a half years, so I give credit to others for this, certainly. But the, the, the early teams really did build a creator or community-led economy, which keeps this platform fresh. 
right? Which keeps the content fresh, which, you know, as avatar looks that people want change over time or what people would wear or the kind of rooms or experiences they want to engage with. So that's something too. This thing is almost every day in, in micro ways, in small ways, the platform's always being refreshed, right? Versus a, a mobile app that maybe, you know, you just add new levels to, and it's really the same game for 10 years, you know? Um. One question I have before we dive into the Web3 stuff, and, and this is kind of related. When we talk about UGC and the creation of assets, which is something that we see more and more projects looking at, um, one concern I always have is, is just like asset inflation in a way. And what is too similar to something else to be a new product? And, you know, how do, how do you make sure that there's not going to be 100 different, very similar copies of Rihanna's dress or, you know, certain products that look like, I don't know what, what some of the brands are you work with. Let's say a Nike shoe or something. Right. right? How, right. how do you make sure that someone that makes something that has a, a, an inverse swoosh is, is you know, either allowed or not allowed, depending on, on how you're looking at it? Yeah. At scale. Yeah. No, it's when you truly, and this is like any social open platform, right? When you truly allow creators um, or the community to to really help build the build the experience, that's a, that's a risk. Um, and so... There's no question uh, with 60 plus million items in the marketplace, a lot of those, I was teased about the white t-shirt, right? I'm not saying there's you know, thousands of white t-shirts, but there's, there's lots of products that are more or less alike. So it's really important that the marketplace um, has, uh, and we're always upgrading it, but has, has advanced features to make that search and discovery possible, right? Or it's really important that we um, are able to elevate and make it clear who the creator was, because creators have their own brands in our in this environment, right? Um, and then I think, you know, not to drag us too quickly into the Web3 space, but the introduction of NFTs on our platform in true rarity or exclusivity or, you know, collections, um, and the way that we're trying to communicate that in the community um, and make those, you know, uh, elevated in a sense, uh, and an extra set of review, um, uh, that that's all important to try to help kind of, you know, call out or make it clear, you know, what is and, and what isn't part of the platform. And then I would say from a brand perspective, um, you know, anytime we obviously work with brands and we want to, we're a, we're a very highly compliant, I could talk about it kind of, you know, entity platform. Um, and so anytime uh, a brand wants us to clean something up, we can, we can work through the platform and look for, you know, various ways that creators might be using the Prada brand or logo or spelling things differently and do our, do our best. Right. Um, good. Awesome. So tell us about your shifts or like, you know, when you got to, to learn about blockchain technology and when you start realizing, yo, this might be interesting for what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It was really in 2017 as I was contemplating and it was, you know, the, the, C, the current CEO was, um, uh, at the time was, you know, encouraging me to join the team. And what we both saw was um, that the existing behaviors, the existing, you know, usage patterns of the InView community was really an ideal fit for the Web3 space. And I'll say for crypto assets. I mean, that's what made it so such an obvious, hey, somebody should do this. You know, I mean, and it should probably be us because our users all had for years, for, I don't know, 15 years, our 10 plus years had been using cash fiat to purchase a virtual currency called InView Credits. They were very comfortable doing that, right? Buying this virtual currency, like a lot of gaming platforms. Our users were very comfortable buying virtual goods, virtual items, 
right? Um, they were very comfortable spending with each other across the platform, right? And so as we looked at it, um, and the millions, like I'll just say, you know, on average this year, we our users purchase about 20 million digital items every month out of the marketplace, um, you know, um, as those hopefully over time all become NFTs, you know, even 10% of that is larger than the NFT transactions per month on OpenSea, just 10%, right? So you start to look at this like, this is not a platform, and I've seen these in Web3 or, you know, where we have to start from scratch or we have to, you know, where we're a messaging app and we have to create an economy or know that where one never existed, you know, um, it's really like, gosh, if we can just do this the right way, and I'll say this, I'll use this word in a seamless way. So for our users, it just feels like they're using crypto and they hardly know it, you know, they just get all the benefits. Um, if we can do this the right way, uh, we should have loads of usage and honestly be, at least in this early stages in my mind, one of the largest crypto economies, certainly metaverse economies in the world, you know. So that, mm-hmm. that's really, that, we can talk about this later, that's really an advantage of Web2 companies because there's bigger ones than us moving into this space the right way, you know. You could yeah. really be big in this space. It's um, you don't have to face the cold star problem. Like you already went through yes. the cold star problem, and now yeah. you have the creators and you have the consumers, and and now it's just implementing this new tech that essentially the next might be too much, but improves the experience from for for the end user. Um, yeah, right. It really does. It really does. and doing it the right way, communicating carefully. And I'll share some interesting things too. We you know, we talk to our community all the time. Right. And they're great at answering, talking, you know, answering polls or giving us feedback. So we, you know, even a year and a half, two years ago, started talking about NFTs. Right. Not a lot of love for them back, back mm-hmm. in the day. And, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, yet we shared the benefits of them. Hey, for the first time, you can actually own these items, resell these items, gift them to others. Right. They're like, oh, I, we like all that. We just don't like it. now if we look at NFTs, I'd say there's probably about 70 percent. Um, acceptance. It'll be more too as our creators get lit up on on creating NFTs in a very easy way. Um, so it's also you know you have to be patient too. Like we always talked about as we made this migration, this transformation, we're not going to like blow up the bit up, up the business, right? We're not going to blow up the community by forcing you know crypto in a shock. You know um, we're going to try to do it the right way and, and in a somewhat patient way, right? Um, to make sure everybody can be on board. Well, can you tell us about the different like assets and because you have NFTs and you mentioned some coins? Can you tell us a bit more about just the, the crypto economy as a whole? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll kind of share it in the order that it's kind of come to um, come to the metaverse too for us, right? Um, the first step was the introduction of um, a token, an asset, an ERC twenty called VCoin, and VCoin is really like digital cash. Right, you, you know, in our world, we call it a stable coin, right? Um, and so, for our users, the introduction of VCoin, and with it came a full introduction of, you know, an integrated custodied wallet, right? And um, you know, kind of full transaction transparency and the ability to move assets around. And so, we introduced VCoin, and um, it was a way to on ramp everybody. And our users are, I'll say this, they're real creators and real earners. So their first desire in this space was to have an asset that had fixed value that they could hold, pay each other with and cash out into fiat and then pay their rent by a new computer, right? So um, so the introduction of Bitcoin, I could talk more about how that works and operates, but it's it's really, you know, kind of a fixed price, again, you know, using words the SEC likes, but, you know, a stable coin in our, in our world token for the metaverse. And it can be taken off platform, right? Um, most 99% of the usage is on platform as users pay each other and do things and cash out into fiat. Um, the next phase, phase two of the, 
of the project of the transformation is really the introduction of NFTs, which happened last year. But before that, we were selling some NFTs off platform and doing some cool things, but it was all very custom and you know bespoke kind of plays. Um, but um, late last year in in Q4, uh, we had fully integrated NFTs into our platform. So we, with some of our creators, started to launch um, every week, every Tuesday. They would introduce a set, I don't know, 500 to 2,000 new NFTs, all, always selling out. And we popped up to the top 10 in DAP radar of collectibles. And, and that was just, it's less than one-tenth of 1% 1 of the virtual goods that are sold every month right now is what we've already done. Uh, I'll just say briefly, phase three of our NFT project is um, putting the ability for a creator to mint NFTs in, this, in what we call our studio tool. So when they upload a product, they can go click, 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 and turn that product into an NFT, right? One of them, 10 of them, a thousand of them, and put that into the marketplace. So once that gets activated, then we turn on our massive community. So we see this NFT growth just going nuts here and actually in a few weeks. Um, and then phase three is what is happening right now, which is the introduction of really, I think, kind of the final asset that kind of rounds out the, the new economy, which is called vCore. So sometimes we use the word or around it, the core, a little bit like digital gold for the metaverse. Um, it's uh, it's also an ERC-20. It will be exchange listed. Um, it's an asset that will, it's a fixed mint, unlike Vcoin. So its price will be, you know, dynamic. <laughs> um, and it'll be an asset. It's not an asset that's going to be available to the U.S. users on our platform or the Canadian users for regulatory reasons. Um, but it is a, it'll be a new kind of next, you know, next level kind of asset for our international, from a U.S. perspective, you know, our international community, right? Um, a new way to earn, to be paid. And our creators, our community, they'll have the decision. Do they want to hold Vcore? Do they want to step back in something like Vcoin? Um, and uh, we're, we'll be able to, because we're not backing it with cash, we'll be able to be generous in rewards and really making sure the core of the community is really engaged around this new asset. Um, and so we're really excited about Vcore, which in a lot of ways is kind of, you know, the, the final, you know, piece, asset, um, kind of crypto asset to the platform, right? From digital cash, NFTs, which really enables ownership, and then Vcore is really kind of the full picture for us at this point. So would it be fair to characterize it as the following? Um, I think one of the strengths that's what free brings to gaming is that it can give players a tiny share of the platform itself that they that they enjoy and um spend time in um which essentially gives them a bit of a skin in the game is is that a bit of the the purpose of, of vcore do i understand that well yeah you know um we talk a lot about it allows our users who are holding earning vcore to participate in the future of the metaverse right um And we're not, you know, we're not, we haven't linked it directly into obviously, you know, ownership of the platform or, you know, directly into the monetization of other activity in the platform. And again, for primarily for regulatory reasons. Uh, but there is that, that idea of participating in the future of the metaverse. And I think whether that's, you know, to your point, there's, a, there's, there's this ability to earn in a new way. I can't go into a lot more. Detail. And there's a there's an ability uh, for our users to have a voice, a more you know, based on their their holdings um, in the future of the metaverse. Um, and yeah, and to your really to uh, to your point or your question, um, beyond just straight cash and fiat, 
um, there's there's something more to this, right? This, this V core, as you guys know, and a, an asset that is you know volatile in nature um, does represent kind of the future of the metaverse for us, right? Well, that seems too cagey, but I respect it. Um, um... Great, uh, great. One quick question, because I'd like to to dive into the regulatory stuff. Um, from your perspective, so I look at you as a strong um, existing Web2 player in the space, moving in, knowing that they can bring massive transactions. Um, in terms of uh, blockchain infrastructure to build on, because you're going to need a high TPS, high transactions per second. Um, just maybe briefly walk us through your thinking there. Yeah, no, we for sure we, we do. and. Um... Uh, the current architecture at a high level, it, you know, is pulled together through some some great technology, uh, but also some really, I think, smart partnerships. Um, so the first partnership was we have a deep relationship with Uphold um, as kind of our backend foundation. If you guys are aware of Uphold, Uphold, um, you know, is like a, a crypto bank slash exchange, uh, but they have a really great kind of platform service. Um, they run the back end for the Brave browser, right, and the Bat token. I have to wear that. And so, uh, w which was handling, you know, millions of users and I don't know, millions and millions of transactions. So it gave us a lot of confidence that they could handle our user numbers, our transaction numbers. And so we've plugged Uphold in. And so as users on our platform are looking at their, you know, clicking on Vcoin or Vcore and seeing their their wallet and the assets in there, or they're they're sending money to their friend on the platform, um, that that's all kind of handled um, by the Uphold platform. Right, so you could say off chain, side chain, because of the high transaction volumes and the need to have uh, low cost and you know fast transactions. Um, so they're so we're quickly moving, you know, in a sense, ERC twenty tokens around our platform, you know, a million times a month, and that's sure by them. Then on the NFT side, our um, kind of early partnership is with Immutable. Um, so you know, with the IMX token and their platform, that layer two play. Um, and so the early NFT minting on our platform and all that activity, and if, you, if one was to look over at a place like DAP Radar, you know, we're one of the leading projects on top of Immutable right now. Um, and so then, and then of course, we're looking around, you know, we've, we've, we've tried to plug all these things in, in a way that allows us to be flexible because this space is so dynamic, right? From layer ones to layer twos to, you know, what's hot, what's not. Um, and so uh, our current partnerships have worked great. Um, and we're in really good shape, but we always keep our head up too to kind of understand what could be or should be next. Like from my time spent in this space talking to, you know, founders building, uh, building, um, I, this is one takeaway that I think a lot of people probably overlook. It is that, you know, we are still so early and there is really not a playbook about how to do Web3 rights at scale. Um, And how to do Web3 right for games, even not at scale, is not really discovered. And so I would say that making sure that you're always flexible is probably key because things will change. And the next bull run, we're, we're going to be talking about a bunch of other things and we're going to be excited about a bunch of other things. And, um, you know, those might also not work out. And so I guess, um, yeah, make sure that you're... You're, you, you remain as flexible as you can and you don't, you know, sell tokens too early because uh, we've said this before on this podcast. If you're trying to raise and you sold tokens and your fully diluted market cap is, is $2 million right now, you're not, you don't have an easy time. Yeah. No, I, I think just to elevate that point for any, you know, would-be or active entrepreneurs in this space, 
it is early. It's super early, right? We're working through all, a lot of the early, you know, mess that comes in an early space like this. And we've you know done it before, right, with internet and other kind of plays. But even those kind of standardize fairly quickly. Um, this one's funky, whether it's from regulatory perspective, you know, underlying technology perspectives, whether it's kind of what is the right recipe, right, from, you know, fully decentralized to, to somewhere on the spectrum. So it's uh, it's it's a it's an awesome space, but it is it's there's not an easy playbook. There's not easy patterns. I think it makes, makes it tough for venture and others, too, as well as entrepreneurs. Right. Because there's not folks that like to look, look for patterns. Um, there are obviously some, but um, but it's it's funky and dynamic and you got to be up for that. You've got to be up for that. It is the Wild West. You, um, John, you mentioned regulation. Talk to us about your learnings uh, around that. Yeah, it's I'd, I'd first say as a you know entrepreneur who's built several businesses in different categories, um, this space is one of the most obviously the, the legal regulatory um, domain is more important in this space than any other industry I've ever worked. Yeah, I've never worked in healthcare, I suppose, or I don't know what would be more, but it is it is all just on that theme of being dynamic. It's super dynamic, and especially for us because we have a global economy with users that transact with each other regardless of where they live. Um, and so um, so that was important. I'd say, too, uh, a good, you know, a, being a solid Web2 business, um, we couldn't just, you know, throw caution to the wind. Um, we've always, as I mentioned, said, look, we're, we're going to make this transformation, but not blow up the business. We also would say we're not going to risk the business or the community. So we took from day one, and it's, it's added extra time and expense, but a very compliant approach to what we've done, right? So we've tried our best to always, um, I mean, I think we've done a great job kind of really understanding what, what the r- rules of the road are um, and trying to do everything we do in a very compliant way. Um, which we could obviously dive into. Um, in fact, I pull out one point. We actually related to VCoin, that you know, kind of um, stable asset on our platform that's like cash. We actually worked with the SEC, um, and in 2020, earned what is only the third crypto-centric no-action letter um, from the SEC, and really the last no-action letter from the SEC. Um, and it really expanded what one could do with a crypto asset, with a token, um, in this case, an ERC-20, because it was the first no-action letter, and there's two prior, but it was the first no-action letter that actually allowed, um, outlined the blueprint, if you will, um, that allowed an ERC-20 or any token to leave a platform, right, to actually leave the walled garden or leave the environment. Um, and um, and so as long as we follow the blueprint, and anybody can follow the the blueprint of that no action letter, uh, asset like Vcoin should be deemed by the SEC to not be a security. Right. So that was just that was the that's like next level compliance. Right. Let's not just launch something. Let's actually work with the SEC and in this case earn this no action letter that's available online for anybody to look at and um, have an asset that probably is about as, as compliant as one could be at this point. How just to um to give people an idea, um could you could you give us a sense of how difficult it was to get that no action letter? Um, it was about a, it was a year of time. Um, it was working with a great with a great team over at Perkins Coie. Um, it wasn't painful, you know. Like you know, um, they were. It was a great team of folks that we've worked with at the SEC. It just took time. It just took time okay. because for, you know. And I'll, I'm not going to speak for the SEC, but it, it it appears like that a no action letter when they when they publish that. 
it's a big deal, right? It sets a new, not just for us, but it sets a, a new kind of, you know, boundary, a new set of rules and outlines kind of what is allowed and what is not, or at least what is allowed, I'll say in this case. Um, and so it's a big deal for them as they work through all their, you know, steps uh, to make something like that. So it was really a commitment, you know, honestly, Vcoin could have been an exchange listed token, you know, three, three years ago, but um, we were working through the process. We were actually going to going to announce it at uh, San Francisco Blockchain Week. And our interaction are with our legal firm, the SEC, and them said, hey, you guys have to have something here that could earn no action letter. Um, and that made us pause and go, hey, I guess, you know, and our board, which is more of a Web2 board, was like, hey, let's 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 take this path and mm-hmm. go the highly compliant way. So yeah, yeah. How are you just making that basically a stable coin? Like, is it, it's like, is it back for the dollar? Like, what, what's the, the functionality that makes that no action work and and you said it kind yeah. of a blueprint for others right what is that blueprint yeah yeah you know at a high level um uh, well i'll just check off a few of the of the p- pieces of that no action letter one is that we are obligated to sell it at a fixed price at, at a price i'll say at a dollar it's not technically a dollar but sell it at a dollar and buy it back for a dollar we're able to take uh, and as are our users transaction fees you know either peer-to-peer transaction fees or uh, a transaction fee when a user turns back turns Vcoin back into fiat, but for the most part, you know, it's you buy it for a dollar in a sense, and you can sell it for a dollar back to us. We back it. We just manage our cash well, and we back we back that asset. And any user that is holding Vcoin, whether they're on our platform or off our platform, can bring that to the platform or to uphold and turn that back into fiat. Right. Uh, the SEC no action letter did not outline any kind of you know kind of say the banking rules behind this, right? Um, and then we had rules ourselves that even though it's an ERC-20, we couldn't and we haven't, you know, uh, engage ourselves with exchanges or, you know, decentralized exchanges or any of those kind of plays, right? And so because of that, you know, one can create models where the price could go up or down, but rationally, in a rational market, it really should stay pretty stable. And I'd say it has. It has stayed stable for two plus years and really kind of served its purpose. I guess if the U S you know. market does go after stable coins in general, right. Then is there like some risk there that they lump you guys in, uh, whether it be considered one that's like backed by a, a bank of money or just in general, like is, has that functionality essentially. Yeah. You know, I think it's possible because I know, you know, everybody, you know, governments around the world have the right to change their mind about things or approaches or other rules. Uh, of course, and we follow all the, you know, money transmission rules, money service business rules. Um, so I, you know, get into that as well. Um, so it's possible things change. We're just a much smaller economy, even though I think we're big for the Web3 metaverse. We're a much smaller stable coin environment than, than any of the big dogs, than the USDTs of the world, USDCs of the world. Right. So that's definitely where they're focused first. But we will, you know, if something changes related to our model or our approach, we'll definitely do our best to comply, you know, or I'll say we will comply. Do you think you'd be able to get that no action letter today? Um, uh, I would just, you know, if I look at the number of no action letters since ours, I would say no. Yeah. Okay. I would say no. And it seems like, you know, that there's lots of, from what I gather, right, this is just us having a conversation with what, what it appears like if, if one plugs into this wider, you know, Web3 community. Folks have been talking to the SEC and others a lot, regula- regulators, but I, you just don't see, I haven't seen an act, a new action letter since late 2020. Mm-hmm. So I think one would say probably not. Yeah. 
Why even create your own uh, coin instead of just using an existing stable coin? Like, what's the benefit to you guys? What's what's the reasoning behind it? Was it just like, hey, we already had a coin, we just want to move it on chain? Like, what what's the reasoning? Yeah, no, it's a great question, and all of our yeah, it's a great question. Used to get it all a lot um, for our users. The easiest step, and for us too, was just having a token that was on our platform that we didn't have to you know, um, go buy ourselves or they didn't have to go buy themselves. And so we had much more control over the economy and seamlessly how it was integrated into the platform. We're not at risk of something, you know, USDT being banned by the U and then all of a sudden we can't. So it was that kind of play. Um, we, we obviously looked at, but then said, Hey, look, our model here, we're not trying to be the stable coin for the world. You know, in fact, we would like it, it uh, the coin can, can easily be transferred into other assets too. Right. So if there was, I'll say if there was ever a standardized, you know, uh, stable coin of the metaverse, we'd be open to adopting that. Does that kind of make sense? You know, if it was easy for users to move around, they'd probably ask for it. And I think long term, as you know, this stuff evolves, um, gamers, people in the metaverse, just people in these virtual environments are probably going to want to have stuff that either easily interoperates. You know, tokens can move each super easily between each other without massive transaction fees um, or there are there are more. Uh, you know, just just a handful of, of assets that that one would have to use, right? Versus one for every game, right? Um, at least in the stable coin category, right? To um, we're coming up on time. I wanted to have John maybe a couple of your biggest learnings in you know bringing Web three to an existing uh, platform. Yeah, no, I think um, it's it's a couple of things, right? It's um, first, just given how early we are in the space and the understanding of even our communities, our users around Web3 assets and the benefits of it, um, it's going to be, it's it's harder work than just, you know, walking into, you know, when we're all, when our Web3 communities together or you're at, you're at a conference, it feels like we all speak the same language and we're all on the same page. Um, that's not true for the mass market, right? So it's going to take patience. It'll take patience with a Web2 team and company that's making a migration to Web3 because some of these models are funky or scary or you're changing business models or you're risking parts of the business model, right? All of a sudden, our users can resell items. Are they still going to buy new items, right? Where we were, you know, you know, where the revenue share is a little better. Um, and so that can be tough too, right? Um, and then um, I, we've mentioned the regulatory environment. It's, you know, prior to the introduction of Web3 on our platform, you know, the legal regulatory risk of the company was pretty low. We, we do a lot to keep users safe on the platform and do all those smart things globally. Um, so we've done a real good, well, all of a sudden your profile is a little different, right? When you step into Web3. Um, and there's a lot of scary, you know, noise in the space too. So I think in some ways I'll say there's a massive, as we mentioned earlier, there's a massive opportunity when you take a existing solid Web2 business and move it into Web3 because my gosh, you're probably going to show up with millions of users, millions and millions of transactions, you're going to wow the space, right? With just, just, you know, engagement. Um, but the counter is you also have to kind of change all those things that I mentioned, right? You have to have the patience to work through that with the users and the community, the company and team members, um, as well as those around you. So it's a give and take, if you will, or there's pluses and, you know, tough things to work through. So but it's all I worth it. From what I so what I take away from what you just said is that it seems like this is you can't half ass this, right? This is like everyone needs to be on board at the top level. Everyone needs to believe in this, and it feels like 
you know, that is, it feels like you guys are, are more unique, um, it, like quite unique in this. And I, it, to me, at least from what I see, it, I don't think this sentiment happens at a lot of, you know, like executive levels of, of a lot of these companies. And so, yeah, uh, given that it's still so hard and so uncertain, um, it feels like it's, we, we've seen a lot of half-ass attempts and, um, 100%. Probably going to see some more half-assed attempts before. That's um, a great way to put it. If if you're half, I mean, you can you can work your way in a little bit, but if you have if the things you launch or the things you do are half-assed, you know, you can't you don't have to launch your entire strategy in one swoop. But if you half-ass, you're you're not going to get there. You mm-hmm. won't get there. Um, and uh, you guys know this community too. You know, and and, and our community, even the MVU community, not just Web three communities. But if it smells wrong, if it looks wrong, if you're not, if it looks like it's a money grab, if it looks like you know you're you're just doing it to do it, then, um, you know, if you're not, you know, doing your best to eat, breathe and sleep the space, you know, um, they're going to know. And so you got to do it the right way. Um, that's a great way to end this. John, where can people learn more about you and where can people find out more about what you're doing with, uh, MVU and, and the web three strategy? Oh my gosh. Anymore. We're on every platform, right? No. Um, metajuice.com is not a bad place to start. And then obviously you can find Metajuice or InView on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm very easy to search for those. So um, we've made it a nice web of, of uh, education, if you will. So actually folks can just look for IMVU as well and find their way to us. Can we, can we chat so, with you on the platform though? That's what we want to know. Mm, oh, on the so platform. we can show off our I'm, latest clothes we bought. And... I am I am Mountain Boy uh, is my is my username on the platform. Excellent. So I you know expose that to everybody here. But uh, yeah, yeah, Mountain yeah. Boy. All right, Devin, what's your gamer <laughs> tag? Boy. I never Love asked you this, but I I want to know. Yeah, I just I just go off MZO all the time. Uh, MZO, yeah, of course. So, yeah. Uh, I had I had it for like what twenty five plus years at this point. Mm, like, gotta gotta goodness. lay my claim, man. Yeah, I don't I have agree. that persona with Mountain Boy. Just to be fair to everybody, in case. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little more general. It's only on Inview. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, good. All right, Very John. Cool. Well, um, we'll, we'll, we'll see you guys in the metaverse. Sounds like you know. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Thank you for joining, man. It was an uh, absolute pleasure. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Good. Devin, thank you as well. Uh, but you, listener, thank you most of all for listening. If you enjoyed, let us know. Um, join our Discord if you haven't already to have you know conversations like this. And with that, we are out and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Ciao.